Psalm 20. Um, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. There is simply no way I can better that story, so thank you, Jeremy. And I would like to say, if ever you are not the Chancellor or a politician, a collar may await you. I don't know. Who knows? It's fantastic to be back here with you again for a a second week. If you were here last week, I told you a little story about my uh, three boys. Uh, One situation, three perspectives, if you may remember that. Well, I want to move on, if I may, to not one situation and three uh, perspectives on the same situation, but three jars, three glass jars, sitting on a windowsill, on a blue turtle shell windowsill of 1920s tiles in a lady's kitchen, a friend of mine's grandmother's kitchen, as I grew up. And I tell you this because verse 7 of Psalm 20 says, Some trust, trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And this uh, lady, this grandmother, put her trust in what went into these three glasses, these three jars. Every week, one of them had the rent money, One of them had the grocery money, and I can't remember what the third one had. And they stood there for all to see across the green when you went to my friend's house. And that then took me to the idea of hiding in plain sight, to the idea of something not hidden at all. But in the summer, I was on a a Christian youth camp, uh, Urban Saints, for those who know it. And I met a family who had adopted and fostered 31 children through their lives. 31. I've got three. And as a result, they couldn't afford to go abroad, they couldn't afford to do many of the things, but they were entirely content. And each year they would go down to Cornwall, not with all 31, that was over the years. And they, in a sense, had three jars. They were metaphorical jars. They were the jars of family, of fostering, or adoption, and faith. You could, in a Christian sense, say faith, hope, and love. And if we spoke long enough to them, we would find that on their windowsill that the basis of this was simply acts of kindness that led them to these three jars. Faith, hope, love, family fostering faith, or in the grandmother's sense, rent, groceries, and so on. And of course, as you look at me, there are three jars in front of me. There are jars of integrity. Do I have it? Do I make sense? And thirdly, emotional connection. Does it connect with where you are? Do I have integrity? Does this make logical sense? That's which I share with you. Uh, And does it connect with you? 
Why would you trust me? Well, fortunately, friends, I can tell you, you don't have to trust me. We are trusting in Psalm 20, the word of God. I have little to teach you about trust, particularly in this context here and the pressures that you live with every day or you support others living with every day. Trust is a dilemma of life. And this is why in the scripture, David is constantly reminding himself, where do I place my trust? What does it look like? I'm not going to delve into that. The question is, where does he place his trust and what does it do to him? Because if we lack trust, we can do as David, a king of great mighty power and prowess can do. His ego, time and time and time again, takes over. And that leads him into a spiral of distrust. And eventually it's emptied and my jars empty and fall off and they fall away. And this is what I think David wrestles with. When it's empty, how does he get them refilled? How does he wrestle with this? This is the deepest stuff of life. And he was in that place of constant dilemma, wasn't he? And he seeks God in the middle of the psalm. He's bound each side by people. The people pray, then it turns to his prayer, then the people pray again. So there's a sense where the aspirations of the people and the prayers of the people are binding him, and then he responds and prays. That's what happens in this psalm. And yet in that, he's wrestling with trust in the midst of the flaws. We all have those flaws. He's surrounded by intrigues of his own family, someone to bump him off. And the wise words of counsel probably don't always sit comfortably to what he wants to do. And so he has the confluence of ego, but he wants to do good. He desires to do good. And we who are good, we desire to do good. We desire to turn to Psalm 20 and say, how do I do good? Well, I was often invited to my friend's house, to his grandmother's house. And we used to play a game with those jars. Sometimes we used to relabel them. His pocket money, my pocket money, and the grandma wasn't very pleased with that. We used to count them and then put them back in the jars. And with the hindsight of many years, I have realized she trusted us. She never counted the money. She never checked the labels. She had a deep trust in her grandson and myself. And what of that foster family? Well, what struck me was that they thought it was perfectly usual, utterly perfectly usual, to the point that they were surprised that I hadn't fostered 31 children myself. It was as if everybody in their street, in their town, and their neighbourhood must foster 31 children. And they simply lived it as if this was the usual way of a trusting life of integrity. Of course, they had deep Christian faith. The grandmother had deep Christian faith. And that is the foundation that David falls upon, the foundation of faith. It leads him into a spiritual spiral of integrity. Yes, the psalm is a call to war. I can't avoid that. And we could debate the rights and wrongs of war and the justice and other of it. But the context of this is not actually war, it's actually a crisis. And it's less about military power and about the basis of where David and the people are now to turn in their time of need.
And the heart of the message is God can be trusted by you today. I know this, and you know this. So if I may, aware of where I am, I'd like to just take that a little bit more personally. In that what David does is he then lives his response in what I'd like to describe as in this passage, amongst the people, as appropriate vulnerability. He wins the war, and yet we hear elsewhere in Scripture, he takes a thousand chariots as bounty, and he destroys 900 of them. He keeps 100 chariots, but he destroys the very things that could give him strength, the weapons of war. They're the high-tech weapons of their day. Surely they will keep him safe. But he knows that his trust is in something deeper. He takes care, he is sensible, he has integrity, and he takes a defensive posture. I think trusting God enables us not always to go on the offensive, but to respond well with careful surety. Many years ago, I was a vicar, not in the area that Jeremy has described, but in a rather more urban context. We had uh, thick wire on every uh, one of the windows at the church, and it was ringed by CCTV and barbed wire. And uh, when I was living there, uh, a team, a team of street pastors were trained. I'm sure you know who street pastors are. And they were trained to do one thing only and to do it well. You had a bag of lollipops. You took the lollipop in your right hand and you offered the lollipop on the whole to the person who was in front of you late at night creating mischief to their right hand. If you worked out they were left-handed, you passed it to the left hand, but you passed it to the hand that was dominant. Because if you put a lollipop in that person's hand, suddenly they became like a child, adopted, fostered, loved, accepted, like the fostering family. And they popped the lollipop in their mouth and suddenly they were able to converse and chat. And if they became aggressive, the lollipop came out into their hand and they can't hit someone when they're holding a lollipop. So how do we de-escalate? Well, David does that with weaponry. It's because he knows the basis is that he knows the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth. It is a decision to step beyond himself and into the enormity of the creator. And I realise as I say this, this may sound very erudite and very interesting, so let me make it personal to me. As I prepared this, I was remembering that I once suffered a personal spectacular failure of trust in me by others. The context doesn't matter, but the reality is it hurts me. The people I trusted demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that my trust was a one-way street. And that really surprised me because of the situation. Their, their whispered words of wisdom proved to be words worthy of a novel rather than a truth. And I gradually, and it took a long time, but I gradually became aware that I was the focus of a degree of resentment and intrigue when I had interest and respect for them. And as I talk about vulnerability in King David and ourselves, well, within me, I sensed that I was beginning to suppress my spiritual inner confidence to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was building this wall of invulnerability. 
The jars were emptying and skittling off the windowsill of my life. And I realised I was simply replacing them with the, the empty jars that they had. And those jars were gleaming there as if they were saying, this is the way to be. And I was so tempted. But the Holy Spirit wrestled with my human grievance. And I realised that the jars needed to be refilled with trust. I longed to be the light that shone and brought that light of hope. And if you want a biblical version for that, that's verse 3, which is the crux of the passage, where everything hinges on trusting God. Whole life worship devotion that brings light into darkness. Trust as a spiritual exercise of the beautiful of beauty of Christian faith. As I come to a close, I remember that foster family. And I remember that they lived that life daily in contentment. I don't know much about them. I don't know the names of the 31 children, but it made enough impact for me to come and share it with you today. And I remember that grandmother with her three jars, three jars of integrity, of connection, and common sense. And somehow that's spoken to me for today. Because, of course, it speaks into Jesus' own words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And he made that ultimate walk, didn't he? From death through to life again. And so to close from one old lady, that grandmother, to another old lady, a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, some would be familiar with, if you're not, a lady that survived World War II concentration camps, the loss and death of her sister. And yet that old lady had those jars full in space when she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust your unknown future to your, own unknown, your known God. He is with you and he will not leave you alone.